0: John chapter 3, I said John 3, we're going to be looking at John 3, but we're actually beginning in John 2, verse 23, that will lead into chapter 3. Sometimes the chapter and verse divisions are not accurate in the Scripture. The Word of God is inspired. The Word of God is infallible. But the chapter uh, headings and and the uh, the verses are not. They were not added until the 1500s by a man named Stephanus. And he did a good job overall. But there are those who even in his time thought that perhaps he had done this while riding on horseback. So uh, there are times when we're not sure exactly why he stopped when he did and started when he did. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, all of that is to say, the context here for what's being said in chapter 3 really begins in chapter 2. And it's very important for us to see the flow of the Word of God here, that we might more clearly understand the lesson set before us. Chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in in his name, when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them. The word commit there is exactly the same word as the word believe in verse 23. It's exactly the same word. Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. There was a man. Please notice the the flow here between the fact that Christ knew what was in all men. He knew man. And then, John says, there was a man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word to our hearts this evening. Now, our present studies, for those of you who have uh, not been with us on Wednesday evening, have been under the title of, By Grace Ye Are Saved, for uh, some months now, and I don't know how many tapes involved here. But we've been doing an introductory study, or at least my version of an introduction, an introductory study of the doctrine of God's grace. And uh, we take our title from Ephesians chapter 2, By Grace Ye Are Saved. Now this evening the the title of the message is Except a Man Be Born Again, taken from chapter 3. These studies have all been revolving around the subject of God's sovereign eternal purpose to save His people from their sins through the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, the uh, last Wednesday we began the subject of efficacious grace, efficacious grace, or uh, as it is historically known, irresistible grace. When we speak of the Spirit's efficacious grace, we mean that the Holy Spirit never fails to successfully bring. An elect sinner to faith in Christ. I certainly feel the need to say that again. When we speak of the Spirit's efficacious grace, we mean that the Holy Spirit never fails to successfully bring an elect sinner to faith in Christ. Now, according to God's eternal purpose, the Spirit applies the salvation that Christ accomplished to every sinner He has purposed to save. Follow all that? His purpose is to save everyone that God the Father has chosen and everyone that Christ the Son has redeemed. All of this is working together. Brethren, when I I say some of the things throughout this study, they are not meant to be jibes, At those who disagree with us, I pray that in uh, the Lord's mercy and grace I would speak these things in a way that would be honoring to Him, uh, but at least provocative to those who disagree. If you take the normal understanding of things, what you have is a Father attempting to do something, trying to do something. That's the word used all the time. God's trying to save people. He's trying to get my attention. He's trying to show me something. God doesn't try to do anything. He just does because He's God. But God, what you hear today generally is God trying to do something that the Son hoped to accomplish that the Spirit basically fails in bringing to pass. The Father would love to save everyone. The Son died to save everyone. The Spirit is trying to draw everyone. But the big hindrance is that men are just too tough for God. Their, their, their wills are just too big. And except for those who break down and believe, uh, all the others will be lost because of their monumental and, and sovereign wills. And, and brethren, this is backwards. And it, is, and it is, again, I, I, I try to choose my words carefully here, but it's a pathetic view of God. It is a defeated God. And who defeats Him? Worms of the earth that turn back into dust. The Scriptures present a God with a sovereign purpose whose Son accomplishes exactly what He was sent to do, and the Holy Spirit applies what the Son has accomplished to all those whom God the Father has chosen. This is what we find over and over, and this is what we've been looking at for these last few months. So I say once again, the Spirit applies the salvation that Christ accomplished to every sinner He has purposed to save. And His purpose is to save everyone that God the Father has chosen and everyone that Christ the Son has redeemed. He has not failed. He is triumphant and victorious and God is daily conquering by His Holy Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what efficacious grace is about. This doctrine clearly distinguishes those who believe in God's sovereign grace from those who don't, and it is primarily because of the issue of monergistic regeneration. Now, that's the term we used last week for those of you that were not with us. Uh, the, of course, the word regeneration is found in Scripture. Monergistic is not, it is simply descriptive. Uh, monergistic <clears throat> means that only one party, and that's the Holy Spirit, operates in the matter of regeneration. Only one party operates in the work of regeneration. You say, well, then men don't have to do anything. No, that's not true. And we'll see that in the weeks ahead. But we're not talking about man's responsibility right now. We're talking about what God effectually does does. Every other view of regeneration in all of the other systems of theology that I have read or familiar with, and I'm certainly sure I haven't covered all of them, but I know that in all the major theological systems, every other view is synergistic. Men work along with God in their regeneration. <clears throat> so, I say once more for clarity's sake, as I said last week, by efficacious grace we do not mean that each and every gracious calling of God to sinners is effectual. Not all gracious acts of God toward men are irresistible. What we mean by efficacious grace is that the Holy Spirit never fails to bring the elect to Christ. The Word of God will show us in the weeks ahead that there are operations of the Spirit that are resisted by sinners. So we don't mean that all grace is irresistible. We do not mean that all grace is effectual. But we do believe that it is always effectual when the Holy Spirit overcomes the wickedness of a man's heart and brings him to the God who chose him before the foundation of the world. He will never fail in that endeavor. So, we began last week looking at effectual calling, uh, or excuse me, efficacious grace, which in part of that is effectual calling. We see that there are two calls in the Scriptures. There is the general call, where the gospel goes out to everyone, and that is a call that comes to the ear but is not made alive in the heart. People every day hear the gospel truth and they turn away from it. Why? They hear the general call. They hear the universal call. They hear it in their ears. But their hearts do not receive it in saving faith. What is the difference? The difference is the effectual call. The work of the Holy Spirit in opening the heart, opening the eyes, opening the ears to receive the eternal truths of Almighty God. We closed last week with looking at Lydia whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended to the things that the Apostle Paul taught her. Why did she believe? And many of Paul's kinsmen, the Jews, did not. Many of those Jews heard the outward call. Lydia heard the effectual call. The grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit was efficacious. It brought her to believe the truths of the Apostle. Now that brings us to John 3. Because tonight, part of the effectual call is what we refer to as regeneration or the new birth. Now, we notice that in chapter 2... The Apostle John begins writing in verse 23 that Christ was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day. And it says, Many believed in His name. And if we look through the Scriptures carefully, we will see that there is such a thing as faith and saving faith. All men can believe, but not all men believe savingly. Men have wills. But those wills are bound. They have a capacity to hear information and to process it. But they will never savingly believe the truths of God's Scripture unless they are changed first. This is the doctrine we find in Scripture and the doctrine of the new birth. Notice that these that, quote, believed on His name, saw miracles that He was doing. They saw Him work astonishing miracles. But Jesus did not believe in them. He did not commit Himself to those believers. Isn't that unusual language? In a day that tries to get Anybody to just nod their head a little bit and then we go, He's a Christian! Here the Word of God tells us that here were those that if you'd ask asked them, gone to them on the street, say, you just saw the things this man did, who is He? Oh, that's Messiah. And yet Jesus knew what was in them and knew that their faith was not saving. They were impressed by the miracles, but they did not believe Him for who He was. Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because He knew all men. And He needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. Well, what is in man? We studied that several months ago when we looked at radical depravity. What is in man, unless God graciously changes him, is a wicked, deceitful heart. Man is full of darkness. Man is full of wickedness and gross evil apart from the saving mercies of Almighty God. And He will do the most unspeakable things except God have mercy upon Him. And even if He doesn't do them outwardly, He will thank them. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ could look at the the theologians of his day and the very strict religionists and say, you are like whited sepulchers. You're like graves with stinking, rotting, dead men's bones within them. Now, Jesus was not concerned about hurting people's feelings. He was not obnoxious like some of us can be sinfully and in a fleshly way. But he told the truth and he told it pointedly. Jesus knew what was in men. And that flows right into a man named Nicodemus. He knew, Jesus, what was in man. There was A man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The the Pharisees were, of course, the conservative party of the the Jewish religion. They were the most strict religionists in all of Israel. And I won't take the time this evening to go into some of their practices that showed their outward zeal for God. But they really are quite extraordinary. Probably not one of us in here would measure up to a good Pharisee. <clears throat> At least as far as outward zeal for his religion. And, and that should shame us, by the way. <clears throat> but this man, this ruler, came to Christ. It says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto Him, Rabbi, we know that Thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, at first blush, this might appear to be something of a compliment. Well, Rabbi, Jesus was a carpenter's son, at least as far as everyone was concerned. He was not his earthly father in a a biological sense, but he was raised in Joseph's home And everyone knew him as Mary and Joseph's son. This is very often the way he is referred to. He was not trained in the schools of the Pharisees. He was not a trained theologian. So for this man with all of his vast learning, and the Pharisees were extraordinary in their dedication to memorizing Scripture the the massive commentaries um, that uh, tried to explain Scripture and their lawyer-like minds impressing every jot and tittle of how the Scripture should be understood. Massive. Here's a man with all the degrees, so to speak, coming to the carpenter's son, Mary's son, and saying, Rabbi, and it puts him on his own level. Probably in his own thinking. I, I don't know what his heart was about, but probably in his own thinking he was he was being respectful to Jesus in a certain way. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. What's wrong with this statement? He doesn't say, I believe that thou art the Christ of God. We can give all kinds of lip service to Jesus without ever truly, saving, him, believing who he is. He wasn't just a teacher from come from God. He is God's son, Messiah, the prince. If Nicodemus would have understood, in whose presence he stood, he would have fallen at his feet, kissed him and praised him, and blessed his holy name, and said, God our Father in heaven has been faithful to his promise to Abraham and to David and and here is His glorious seed. Here is Messiah. Here is the One whom all the nations of the world will flow unto. And I'm in His presence. And I, I praise You, O oh God, that I can kiss His feet. Rabbi, kind of on my level, we know that you're a teacher from God. You're doing some amazing things. God would have to at least be with you of realizing God the Son stood before you. Jesus answered in seven to him, and I notice the Lord doesn't say thank you. I appreciate the fact that my coming from humble origins uh, actually is recognized by you in, in calling me rabbi and putting me on your level. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Nicodemus comes and says you're a teacher, and you have to be a teacher. Come from God. Jesus just immediately begins to teach him. It's interesting how often God will meet us in the confessions that we make about Him. The Lord Jesus Christ is addressed as a teacher and He begins to teach. Truly, truly, Amen and Amen. It's what's being said here. Except a man be born I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, who Christ speaking to makes this so very important? If anyone on the landscape could be looked to by the average man as a, a sure fire candidate for entering into the kingdom of God, it had to be someone like Nicodemus. But the Lord Jesus Christ simply says, "I tell you the truth. Except a man. And he knew what was in men. Be born again. Unless something radical happens to men as they are, they will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds, How can a man be born when he's old? How's that possible? Now again, Nicodemus was a brilliant man. Uh, and the the Jews, if you will read the Gospels carefully, and if you will read history, you will see that the, the Jewish leaders would spend hours upon hours in their studies and sitting and talking theology, and they would take it down to its most minute uh, questions, and they would question one another. This is the way they would deal with others around them. They would throw questions, they'd throw curveballs at them, they'd throw... Extremely difficult inquiries their way to see if they understood what they were really saying. And this is what Nicodemus is doing to the Lord Jesus Christ as a good Pharisee. How does that happen? How is it that a man's born again? It says, We know something obvious here. He cannot enter into his mother's womb and be born again. What are you talking about? He clearly did not understand. But he comes back with his challenges. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, truly, truly, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He says it again. Changes it slightly, like a good teacher. I'll back up. I'll say this one more time. Remember, Christ knows what's in men. And He knows that standing before Him is a religious unbeliever. So Christ said, "...unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot be born again." Or, excuse me, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he breaks it down just a little bit more. Here's what I'm saying to you that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he makes a clear distinction between them. They're not to be confused. Nicodemus, we're all here because of the first birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You know what Genesis says. Everything gives birth after its own kind. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And except you're born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must begin, uh, be born again. You shouldn't be amazed. You shouldn't be stunned at this. You've come here tonight, a Pharisee, a great theologian, a leader of God's people. You've come and you've kindly condescended to me. You've called me a rabbi. You've said that I'm a great teacher. I'm speaking your scriptures to you! And you don't get it. I made very plain, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You ask, I've made it a little more clear. Except you be born of water, of the Spirit, you won't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is one thing; it's always flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is another. And while men may, all men have experienced the first one, only those who experience the second one will enter the kingdom. You shouldn't be amazed at this. Now, why does he say that? Well. <clears throat> The Lord goes one step further with His teaching, and He says, The wind bloweth where it listeth. It blows where it wills. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of this Spirit. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. This birth that men must experience is like the wind blowing. Nicodemus, can you control the wind? Do you understand the wind? The wind comes and blows as it will. It goes where it will. You know when it's doing it. There's an experience to it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You can put your finger in your mouth and put it up and you can tell, okay, that's a a Northeaster coming in. But he says that's the way being born of the Spirit is. In other words... Being born of the Spirit is not something within man's power. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? He doesn't understand the teaching he's getting. He hears the Lord Jesus Christ speaking words. There are not any hard words in here. The word justification, propitiation is not in here. Sanctification, none of the big Pauline words are in here. How could this brilliant man be so befuddled? The Lord Jesus Christ makes that point. He says to him, Art thou a master of Israel? and know not these things. Do you teach God's covenant people and you don't know what I'm talking about? And this is very, very important. This is a most important point. And what we want to do is take a, just a few minutes and look at the implications of what we've read thus far. The Lord Jesus Christ rebukes a man who came in and was nice to him. He said, Rabbi, carpenter's son, I'll call you the, the same thing that we say to our most inspired theologians. And halfway through the conversation, Jesus says, You teach? And you don't know this? You teach God's people? First of all, the first implication is this no one enters. God's kingdom except by the new birth. No one enters God's kingdom by his own power. No one enters God's kingdom because of the first birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The only way to be in God's kingdom, to see it, to walk in it is to be born of the Spirit. Secondly, the new birth is the work of the Spirit. It isn't, it never has been, and it never will be the work of men. The new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit who blows where He wills. This is Christ's teaching. This is the implication of what's being said. Born of the flesh and born of the Spirit are entirely separate things. And you can be born of the best stock and be lost to hell for all of eternity. You may go to the best churches. You may have the best instruction. You may sit under all the Nicodemuses on the planet and be lost forever, except the wind of the Spirit blow your direction. The first birth cannot bring you into the kingdom of God. It is only the second birth. The next implication is that the new birth is mysterious. Why make that point? Because it is not something formulated or controlled by men. Those that are born of the flesh cannot manipulate birth by the Spirit. The new birth is a sovereign act of the Spirit who blows where He wills. And finally, the last implication I want to bring out this evening is that this new birth is taught in the Old Testament. This is why Jesus rebukes you. Nicodemus, how can you be a master of Israel? A teacher of God's chosen people. Now, at least from some of the things that I have read and some of the testimonies that I have heard over the years, the Pharisees memorized huge portions of the Old Testament Scripture. Very often they had at least the Pentateuch memorized. Now, brethren, I don't know if that really hits you, but, I mean, Genesis alone in English is 50 chapters. Imagine Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I heard one man who was an Orthodox Jew, though a modern one, practicing as much as possible his ancestor's faith. His test for being a rabbi was they would take a scriptural roll drive a nail through it, pull it out, and then unscroll that scroll and wherever the hole was, he had to supply the missing word. We have Christians that are proud of the fact that they've memorized John 3.16. And some of us couldn't even quote that. Jesus says, you're a teacher of God's people and you don't understand the basic element of entering into the kingdom. That could only be a reproof. That could only be a sting if it were something he should have been familiar with. You can say to me, Pastor, you teach the Lord's people and you know nothing about brain surgery? doesn't bother me. It's no... That's no reproof. It's not my place. It's not what I study. I bow my head in shame at how often I do have to say, I'm not sure what Ezekiel means there. Christ is not talking about the nook and cranny verses. He's saying, Nicodemus, you don't know. The basics for entering the kingdom. The only scriptures he had were the old covenant scriptures. I say that because there are so many today that seem to think that the new birth is something that just kind of sprang up out of the New Testament. Well, I want to give you two applications and then we'll consider just a couple of more passages and take up here next week. Having said that, we want to consider these two applications. Number one, Religion without the new birth. Religion without the new birth. Even religion instituted by God does not save. Religion without the new birth. Even religion instituted by God does not save. Nicodemus is an example of that. Notice the Lord Jesus Christ says to him in verse 11, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, You believe I am a teacher come from God, Nicodemus, then I say this to you. We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, and ye believe not... I've spoken to you as a good teacher. We've talked about being born of water. That should have brought up some images in your mind because the Old Testament Scriptures are filled with uh, promises of God pouring water onto the dry ground. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you'll be clean. I talked to you about the wind blowing. That's the way the Spirit moves. Now, if I've brought this down to this level and you don't understand this and not only not understand it you don't believe it what will you do if I open up the heavens and speak to you of heavenly things it says and ye believe not remember Jesus needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man and he knew that this religious man stood before him Utterly lost. You don't believe the things I've said, Nicodemus. You basically perjured yourself. You've told me that I'm a teacher come from God, and and yet you stand there disbelieving what I've said. Religion. Even religion instituted by God. Cannot say you can be a good Baptist you can be a good Methodist you can be a good Lutheran and be as lost as Nicodemus except ye be born again you said well, what well okay good now that you've made that point uh, take us to the verse where Jesus tells us how to do it you will read this chapter over and over and over in vain because he doesn't give a formula for how men can be born again. Well, wait a minute. I just heard a TV preacher last week said if I do this and this, I'll get born again. He speaks without the authority of Scripture. Because Jesus made clear the wind blows where it wills. Where it wills. Not where men will. The Lord Jesus Christ said that it's like this, with everyone that's born again, the Spirit blows where He will. The sovereignty of God's Spirit and the sovereignty of God's eternal purpose all lies in this one thing called the new birth, which our generation makes to sound as easy as buying a vacuum cleaner from a door-to-door sale. People just come in and say, here it is. One, two, three, four. Nod your head to this. Thank you. You're in the kingdom. Don't ever doubt it. How in the world would that fit in this chapter? is isn't there. And I fear that there are many who don't have the integrity of Nicodemus and certainly not even the knowledge of Nicodemus who believe that they are Christians because the flesh has done something. They have absolutely no evidence that the Spirit has. And that brings me to the second application, and that is that we cannot birth ourselves. The Lord Jesus, and God the Father, and the glorious Spirit, so ordained all things that the Holy Scriptures and those that were chosen to record them chose images to convey the heavenly truths, earthly pictures to convey heavenly truths. How many of you here birthed yourself? How many of you had a say in it? I know there are those of us that have said, I wish I'd never been born, but you didn't have any... Contri- that's a confession... You had no control over it, is it not? It is amazing to me that we have men all over the planet and very often extremely sincere professors of Christianity who will take the picture of being born again, which no person born can control, which God the Holy Spirit applies to the new birth and say... This is something you can do. And then write books about it. Follow this formula and get yourself born again. This is heartbreaking. Because we have many who profess to be children of God who've done no more than joined a religious congregation yet without ever any spark of life that which is born of the flesh is flesh and the scripture tells us how we can identify the flesh and the way it acts and the things it produces and the scripture tells us that we can identify the things that the spirit produces because we can't do them so except a man be born again. Brethren, I pray and I plead with all of my heart that the Spirit of God will move among us. You say, well, what are men supposed to do? Just sit around with their feet up? No. God commands you to believe the Gospel. The Scriptures and preaching the Gospel doesn't say, now look, just get yourself born again and you'll be saved. Even though people will tell you that. So we are to preach God's truth and we wait for the Spirit to blow where it will. You say, well, how will I know? When did you repent? When did you begin to believe Christ? And less, I mean, uh, more important than that is whether you've got a day or an hour, which is not crucial. The issue is, do you live repenting and believing? Oh, brethren, this is a most important subject. The new birth is the work of God the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about man's responsibility to repent, to believe, but we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. These are the manifestations of God's wind blowing in the hearts of men. A man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Brethren, what I say to you is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and may God be pleased to open up a whole generation of Lydia's hearts that we might attend to the things spoken of from the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy no one here tonight would believe except your precious spirit Father, come by your great spirit and do a mighty work in this place, in Pensacola, in this nation. Oh, Holy Spirit, we have grieved thee we have cast beside your cast aside your great work that we might exalt our wills. O oh, Father, humble us before thee and send your spirit among us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This Reformation Audio Track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books.